Let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, down through verse 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself his savior, its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. Before you sit down, I would like to ask, if you are married... I would like you to remain standing and everybody else sit down. If you are married, please remain standing. All right. This is an example of the grace of God that is in front of you today. I would like to go around and I'd like to start over here and I would just like to hear how many years you're coming up for in your marriage. Each couple and as you give that number, you can be seated. We're coming up for 42. 42. Thank you. Coming up on 16. 16. 10 years. 10 years. 7. 7. 13. 13. Coming on. Coming 11. on. 11. 11. Going on 8. 8. 56. 56. 23. 54. 54. 44. 57. 37. 37. I wasn't going to say anything. Husbands and wives are doing a lot of looking at each other to check to make sure they've got the number right this morning. 32. 32. Coming up on 42. 42. 54. 54. Year and a half. Year and a half. Okay. 19. 19. Coming up on 40. 40. 16. 16. Thank you. And my wife and I are coming up on 34. And uh, the Lord certainly is gracious. You see, this is, let's go to the first screen here, please, Ben. Nope, not that one. Go to the next one. We'll do that one in a minute. (laughs) A wedding is an event, but marriage is life. You see, it's important that we consider the word of God when we're talking about the value of things within the local church. And I believe there is a lot to say within a local church when you have this kind. If we were to add all of the numbers together, we would have a few hundred years of, 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 of life experience between every one of us who are married. Now, I would like those who are not married to stand. All the young people. Well, well you could stand as well. That's all right, Doug. Okay, now, I'm not going to ask you to give any numbers or anything like that, okay? These young people that we see around us here, if you're a married couple this morning, our responsibility is to be a testimony to them of the grace of God. doesn't matter how old a person is, whether they're single in older life or middle age or, or, or a young person. Some of these are still a very long ways from marriage. 
God still requires us to be an example to them, a testimony of what biblical marriage is. Thank you. you. may be seated. Now I want to go back just for a moment to the previous screen. There we go. Being married is like having a best friend who doesn't remember anything you say. I'm sorry, what did you say, dear? I can say that. My wife's not here. She'll listen to it online. But she would probably attest to this fact. But here's the reality. Marriage is not about one long event where you look forward to celebrating 50 or 60 years together. For those who have only been married a year and a half, you don't look forward to 60, you look forward to tomorrow. You look forward to getting through today. And those of us who have been married longer, we do the same thing. Coming up on 34 years, I'm not looking and making plans to celebrate 40 or 45 or 50, although I pray that God will give that to my wife and I. But we have to live each day as it comes. We can get so caught up with the things that are going on in the world and we get so distraught at the news or, or the persecution that is taking place or, or, or what about that horrible event, another shooting yesterday in Allen, Texas, just north of Dallas, Texas. There are some husbands and wives that are laying at a funeral home today. What if it had been us? What would we do then? You see, all of this keeps pointing back to the sovereign purposes of God. What are God's sovereign purposes in our life? And as we look at biblical marriage, the value of biblical marriage this morning, I want you and I to be encouraged. But I'm going to give you some statistics this morning that I think maybe are going to shock you. You see, biblical marriage requires not just taking one day at a time, but putting Christ first in every area of life so that Jesus Christ becomes preeminent, not prominent. If Jesus Christ is only prominent, or he only features every now and then in your life, you're going to struggle with your marriage. I'll just tell you right now. Because the only way that we can point others to Christ and to show what Christ has done for his bride, the church, is to show to one another and to show to the world how much he loves us. Now, I know that several of you have probably heard the long-standing joke. Man and his wife were riding down the road and, and she looks over at him and she says, well, you never tell me that you love me anymore. And he said, I told you 35 years ago when we got married, if anything ever changes, I'll let you know. How would we feel if the Lord Jesus Christ didn't tell us repeatedly in his word that he loves us? You see, learning to love one another is learning to love through every difficulty, every trial. When you start off and you get to the wedding day and you have all the flowers and all the fluff and everything that goes along with that, none of you probably could have imagined, whether it's been a year and a half or whether it's been in your 50s years that you have been married, I am sure that none of you could have ever imagined what God would put you through in your life over the years of your marriage. And had he done so, you probably wouldn't have gone through with the wedding. But God brings these things into our lives to make us more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And every trial and every circumstance, every good time, every bad time, every indifferent time, every argument that you have had, every disagreement that you have had, every child that you have had, or that maybe has passed away in the womb or had a miscarriage in some way, whatever it may be that God has placed in your life, he put it there for a reason, and that's to bring glory and honor to himself. You see, marriage is not just about you and the person sitting next to you. Marriage is about building the relationship that you and I have first with God and then with the person who is sitting next to us. For many years, and it's interesting, Brother Al, I think, must have pilfered my notes or something again for Sunday school class because he covered some of the same things that I'm going to cover this morning. 
For years now, I have been seeking to warn others that laws are going to be changed, and certainly not for the good, especially marriage. I think anybody who has been studying the Word of God for any length of time would be able to see exactly what's taking place in the world. And don't kid yourself, it's going to get worse. The Bible says that the last days will become worse and worse until the Lord Jesus Christ himself comes and he brings peace. I'm not going to fool myself into thinking that last night was the last mass shooting that we are going to see. I'm not going to fool myself into thinking, and you shouldn't either, that, that the war that is currently going on in Sudan and the hundreds, if not thousands, of people who have already been killed or the, the conflict that is taking place between Ukraine and Russia, that this is going to be the last conflict this world will ever see. All you have to do is go back and read history and you get back to World War I. That was called the Great War. It was also called, if you know your history, the War II and all wars was it no there have actually been no years since world war one i think actually my mistake i think there was actually three years after world war one that there have never been or that there has not been any kind of conflict the rest of the years have all had some kind of conflict between one government or another Loud were the cries of people down through the years who always or who wanted to say they only want to love who they want. What people do in the privacy of their own home is not hurting anybody, so stop judging. Realizing that this was not gaining them what they wanted, the radical left began to push for changes, and now marriage is no longer considered a sacred institution between one man and one woman. Today, two of the same sex are legally permitted to marry in the eyes of the law, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but you can even marry yourself if you are a narcissist in what is known as sologamy. It gets worse. Currently, 43 of the U.S. states, we're not talking about some third world country here, 43 states in these United States, a nation that was built on biblical principles, currently permit child marriage. If you are not aware of that. And approximately over the last 18 to 20 years in America alone, over 300,000 children as young as 10 have been married. What you were talking about in Sunday school. A report from, the, from two months ago from an arm of the corrupt organization known as the United Nations said this, quote, Sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual if not, in fact, if not in law. This is happening right in front of our faces. And we have a responsibility to stand up and say, wait a minute, the UN doesn't have the right or the responsibility to be able to make the determination on what marriage is. Right. Only the Bible does. Similarly, marriage between humans and, in, in, and inanimate, say that one quick three times, inanimate objects is on the increase. Do an internet search and you will find people have married their pets, characters in their favorite video games, and even roller coasters. So what is the standard? Who has the right to set the rules for what defines marriage? Is marriage even an outdated institution? Today, I believe the world is faced with a choice. Either they believe that Jesus was who he said he was, or else he was a fraud. During his earthly ministry, 
The self-proclaimed Messiah made many references to the Old Testament, and it appears that there were many Old Testament references that were made about the Christ. One commentator noted this about those Old Testament references. One scholar has found as many as 574 verses in the Old Testament that somehow either point to or describe or reference the coming Messiah. Alfred P. Edersheim found 456 Old Testament verses referring specifically to the Messiah or to his times. And conservatively, many biblical scholars believe that Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry. That's amazing. Now the chance of one man fulfilling just 15 of these, and I'm going to give you some statistics here. Let's go ahead and go forward, Ben. One more. And one more. Just 15 prophecies being fulfilled by one man in their lifetime is approximately 1 in 10 followed by 64 zeros. I, I can't even count that high. But it doesn't end there. To fulfill 48 prophecies, now we're talking about over 300 in the Old Testament, to fulfill just 48 prophecies, go ahead, 1 in 13 trillion. That's not 13 trillion, that's 13 trillion zeros. Yes. So how much is a trillion? Even mathematics points to the fact, and I'm going to tie both this issue of marriage together with what I'm saying about the Lord Jesus Christ here in just a moment. But even mathematics points to the fact that someone had to guide history over the last 4,000 years. Again, talking about the book of Genesis, those genealogies are there for a reason. So how much is a trillion? I want to try to put this in some kind of uh, uh, point. And if you're a mathematician, you can excuse us for just a moment. We're going to try to understand this number. One million golf balls would fit inside the average master bedroom. One billion, with a B, golf balls would fit inside Grand Central Main Station, Main Train Station in New York. But one trillion golf balls would require 27.7 Dallas Cowboys stadiums. Now multiply that number times 13 and you'll get the idea of what it required for one man to be able to fulfill 48 prophecies. You think there's a chance that it could have been anybody other than Jesus Christ? No. By the way, this stadium right here is the second largest dome structure in the world. But let's talk about it in money. If you were to take $100 bills, $1 million would fill a briefcase. $1 billion would fit on 10 standard pallets, but $1 trillion would actually cover that football field 7 feet deep in bills. That's a lot of money. And then multiply that times 13 and you will have an idea. So what does this have to do with marriage? <coughs> there are only two worldviews that are in the world today. The first is man-centric. And all within the heart of man is in rebellion against God. This is why people struggle in their lives, whether it's a relationship that they have with their husband or with their wife or with their colleagues or, or whoever it may be, sometimes even within the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are struggles that we have. And the reason is because we take our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ and we begin to focus on what I think I have to have in order to be able to make life work for me. One commentator noted this, the natural man wished to pretend that there is no God, but pretense it remains because deep down he knows that God exists. How many of you have ever read a National Geographic? Okay, 
I was talking with my daughter about National Geographic this last week with Hannah. And I was telling her that my parents used to subscribe to National Geographic and we would get that magazine in and man, I got to tour the world in my mind. And there were all kinds of cultures and societies. It was really, really cool. It's one of the reasons why I think I love history and geography so much today. But you can go with an anthropologist and you can go to any culture of the world and you will find a knowledge of a higher being. There is nobody that has evolved to the point where there is no God. If you were to go, for example, and there are many missionaries who have gone to places like Papua New Guinea, and in Papua New Guinea they would go and they would find that even in the cannibalizing of other people, they knew that they were violating the laws of the Almighty even before the missionaries showed up. The second worldview is God-centered. And you either recognize his sovereignty or you do not. But it doesn't change the fact that he is holy and sovereign over all things and all people. As we looked at in the conference, the sovereignty of God simply means this, that God can do anything he wants, any time he wants, with any person he wants, for any purpose which he wishes to accomplish, namely to bring honor and glory to himself. So how do we tie these two seemingly completely different aspects that we have talked about this morning? The Lord Jesus Christ and marriage. In his ministry on earth, Christ actually pointed back to creation. And in speaking with the religious leaders, he defined to them what marriage is. Now here's the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Was Jesus Christ truly the Messiah? Because if he was, then he also claimed to be the Son of God. Was he the Son of God? If he was, then he must have been there in the beginning, even before the angels sang together in the early days of creation. And if he is God then he has the final say on what defines marriage. Matthew chapter 19 verse 4 says, He answered them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them what? Male and female. Mark chapter 10 verse 6, But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. And yet in the school system and in social media and in Hollywood and in the government, the government wants you to believe that there's 87 different genders that are available. Just whatever you want to be, you can be today. And you can change it tomorrow. No, God made them male and female. And see, the reality is not about how many genders we can assign or how many we can come up with. The question is, who do you say that Jesus Christ really is? Because if you understand and have an inkling of an idea of who God is, and God the Son and the Lord Jesus Christ, you will understand that God himself said, and he created them male and female. in a series on TV that was set in space, that's as far as I will describe it, one of the characters noted this to their partner. We're going to be together for a long time. So yes, that is the point of marriage, I suppose. That is not the point of marriage. A commentator noted this, true knowledge is not about knowing or is not about knowing about something, it is about a relationship by acquaintance. Let me give you an example or an illustration. When my wife and I met and married, we met and married, and some of you have this beat, but we met and married inside of four months. Okay? And there were times that as you said in the Sunday school class, that we wrote letters back and forth to each other. I didn't write nearly as many as she did. But that also means that I read more than she did as well. I still have all those letters. 34 years later, they're in a little 
satchel that we keep. But if you were to come up to me and say, Mark, can you tell me about Violet? And I say, well, she's got red hair and strawberry blonde hair. And I could give you some of the defining details of who she is, but is that really telling you anything about who she really is deep down inside of her? Come on, you guys are married. There's more marrieds here than not. Is that really describing if I if I say if I say, well, she wears a hat or he has a mustache or he has a goatee or they drive a certain car. Does that really define who that person is? No, it really doesn't. What does it take for us to understand what makes that person? It's Go ahead. Spending time with that person. Not just defining who they are or what they wear or what they drive or what color they like. But what really deep down makes that individual? This is one of the reasons why we can gather together on the Lord's Day and we can spend time when we don't have anything necessarily in common with one another apart from Jesus Christ because it is based off of a relationship. This morning I wanted to look just briefly at three points. Number one, I want to see the divine order. You have in your notes there in front of you the divine order. Very simple. We are going to reiterate what the Lord Jesus Christ said in this passage. And that is one man, one woman. Why? Why just one man, one woman? Because they were to multiply over all the earth. In doing so, the divine order says that we are to represent Christ to the nations. You see, when we're standing on the street corner and there's one group over here that says that, yes, we can marry who we want or we can live what we want or do what we want. But if you're not a student of history, go back and read what took place in some of the cultures and the societies that were out there like the Spartans or the Greeks or the Romans. And you will find we're not nearly as depraved as what we could be or what we will become. The divine order, though, for the Christian is to be able to stand up. And yet there are many churches. In fact, I'm trying to remember which I couldn't I couldn't find exactly which person it was. But somebody who is within government within the last 10 or 15 years actually made a comment and said, why should we listen to the Christians on the point of marriage when you can't even agree amongst yourselves what marriage is. That's pretty telling. Because there are a lot of so-called churches, even evangelical churches, where so-called evangelical churches, where the pendulum is swaying, there are numbers of churches, and we said this before, even within, for example, the Southern Baptist Convention, who are now, and we're not talking just one or two odd churches. We're talking about mega churches that are openly accepting marriage between somebody other than one man, one woman, before God. You see, when we stand... And we read Ephesians chapter 5 and we see that Christ loved us. He loved his bride. We are representing by our marriage. If you are married this morning, it doesn't matter how long you have been married or how short a time you have been married. If you are living before the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking to live a holy, righteous life before him, you are representing how Christ loves his bride. Now that's going to involve two aspects. And I know that this isn't popular in today's world, but we're going to cover two areas. You'll notice though that the first one we're going to cover is verse 22. That's the wives to be submissive unto the husbands. But let's define what that means. I want to go back and read verse 22 again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So what does this mean? First of all, let's talk about the high value of a wife. If you have never read Proverbs chapter 31, ladies, that should be the goal that you aspire to is a Proverbs 31 woman. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Another verse says, He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. 
Now, just because a woman doesn't stand in the pulpit and preach or teach before men, that's not a male chauvinistic thing. It's not something that Paul just didn't have anything better to write about or it was simply a cultural issue. It is because Paul recognized that there was a divine order, not just in the home, but in the church as well. This does not demean the role that ladies have, that you ladies have within this congregation, because you have been created of higher value. And I believe, as, Paul, as Peter says in 1 Peter, he says, give heed to the wife as to the weaker vessel so that your prayers be not hindered. <coughs> Do you know that only through biblical teaching will you find a society and a culture that highly values a wife? Talk to any missionary that comes and ask them how women are treated in those villages when they go up into those mountainous valleys in Southeast Asia or in places like Africa. It is only when the love of the Lord Jesus Christ comes in and people begin to recognize what biblical marriage is, are there a, is there a correct response to what a wife is and the value that God places on a wife in a marriage. I can remember when we first got to Liberia, the society or the culture that we dealt with there was a very vulgar, very crass society. In fact, there's not even, I've said this before, but there's not even a word for please or thank you in their language. We would sit down and we would be fed, and I thought it was kind of strange the way that they would do it, but my wife and I would sit there, and we would eat the food that they presented to us, and then the men would sit down, and it took me a little while to catch on, because normally the women were over in the, in the kitchen area outside, and they were cooking, and then the women would get to finish whatever was left, and then maybe if there was a little bit of rice, the kids would eat. And I remember at the end of the first week when we were over there, I said, things are going to change. I said, because I believe this is honoring to the Lord to do it differently than what you've been doing it. I said, from here on out, the women who are attending the conference will eat with their husbands and their families. Well, you could hear the rumbling. But why, Pasumai? I said, we are not giving evidence of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love that he has when you men are filling up your stomachs and don't care whether the, your wife or your children get anything to eat at all. Oh. It wasn't something that they had ever thought about. The biblical response to the husband Wives, the Bible says that you are to be subject to your husband. And this word simply means to willingly submit to the control of another or to yield to the admonition and advice of another. This does not demean the role that you have in your life or in this world. I think too often we hear the word being submission and, and sometimes our dear sisters can get their hackles raised because they're thinking the wrong thing. They're thinking from a, from a worldly perspective instead of a biblical perspective. You see, to be in submission to the husband or to yield to his admonition means that we are ultimately to be submissive to the Lord. He was encouraging the believers in the first century to return to God's order for the home. And his words here are clear that when a wife is submitting her life to the Lord, she will submit to the biblical authority of her husband. Now that I can hear some of the questions now maybe that you might have in your life. Well, what if he doesn't want to be a godly man? What if he doesn't want to be a spiritual leader in the home? That is ultimately not your responsibility, ladies. Only God can change that man to be the kind of man that he needs to be for the honor and glory of God. 
but further to be in submission to the Lord. And, and, and when I had you stand earlier, you are setting the example for the younger women. Look at these young ladies who are here in the congregation. So, some of them just two or three years old. I mean, we've, we've got some in the back here. Oh, back over here. Claire and Emily. I mean, they've got a long ways to go before, I mean, you ask Brother, Brother Rob, I mean, they're probably not allowed to even date till they're like 35. <laughs> But ladies, you're setting an example. And I don't think that we realize fully, and this is one of the things I appreciate about Brother Gabe and, and, and the discipleship class that we're doing on a Friday. I don't think that we fully understand who is watching us on a daily basis. Listen to Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. I want to go back to Liberia. When, when we were there, my wife and I, wherever we walk, it's been this way since even before we got married, we hold hands. And I can remember we were walking to one particular village. We had stopped on the side of the road and we were walking uh, through this mountainous area to be able to get to a village where we were going to minister the word and, and where I was going to minister the word there. And, and I remember all the pastors and their wives were standing behind us on the path and they were all kind of snickering. And I asked them, well, what, what, what are you laughing about? You know, what's this joke, this, this Pele joke that's going on in this culture? Oh, no, nothing, nothing. It's nothing, Pasumai. So we'd walk a little bit further and we'd look back and one of the men would be reaching out and touching his wife like this. And then they'd all start giggling like a bunch of school kids. And so I finally called one of the men that walk up beside me and I said, let's, let's walk up a little further and I want to ask you, what's going on? What are you laughing about? They said, we've never seen a man hold, a husband hold hands with his wife. Way out in the jungle, we're three hours away from any other white folks who were there or any other missionaries. I said, you're kidding. They said, no, we don't do that. I said, why not? Well, I, I don't know. I said, you ought to try it sometime. <laughs> Within about six months, we could walk through the village and even unbelievers' husbands, unbelieving husbands were holding the hands of their wife. Because we were setting an example and we didn't even realize we were doing it. Husbands and wives, you are setting an example not just to your family, not just to your children, to be the kind of godly husband or godly wife that you need to be, but also to those you fellowship with. Don't be the kind of person who is giving a bad example to those around you of what marriage should not be. Now, we've talked enough about the ladies for now. Men, it's time to get your ears on. This next section, verse 25 to 33, this entire section is an admonition that Paul gives to the husbands. And there are four things that he calls you and I to do. Number one, he calls us to protect our spouse. Now, I don't doubt for one moment, especially those, whether you're young or old, as far as marriage time that you've been married, I am sure that there's not one of you that would not be willing to take a bullet for your spouse. Because that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to be willing to die for our spouse if that's what is necessary. But what about in those areas where we are called to protect, maybe that most people don't give any consideration to? Women were created from the side of men, or Adam. Eve was created out of Adam's side, not out of his feet to be stepped on, not out of his head to lord it over him. She was created as his equal. 
But man, you and I have a responsibility to protect our families and especially our spouse from all the things that are taking place in the world. That means that we have a responsibility to pray for them. If you're not praying for your spouse, you are not showing love to your spouse. But what are we protecting them from? The world would seek to use whatever media formats or whatever it may be to be able to undermine marriage. And this has been going on for years. And sitcoms and and all of the stuff that comes on TV, there's not much worth watching on TV anymore. But a lot of what you'll see undermines and makes the husbands look like a buffoon. Husbands, you are called to lead. And if you are called to lead and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to lead. That means, and Brother Diego and I have talked about this multiple times, and and, and this is what I saw in my home growing up as well and what I strive to do for my family and I did with my boys. I didn't do it perfectly. But to be a leader, that means that you pray for them. You pray with them. You pray beside them. You read the Bible with them. If your children are too little, read the Bible to them so that they understand as they get older the ways of God. It is in this way that we protect them. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to your word? The only way that you're going to be able to protect the hearts and minds of these little ones here this morning is to do so through the word of God and the principles that God has laid out for us. Amen? Amen. Secondly, husbands, we are called to love. Now you notice that when Paul is speaking here, he doesn't say love as long as she loves you back. It says we are called to love and not just any kind of a love, but a self-sacrificing Christ-like love that says that I will put your needs above mine. That's not easy to do. That is not something that you in and of yourself can do on your own apart from Jesus Christ. What does it mean to truly love? We all know the word, the agape lover, agapao, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I would highly recommend if you have never read that passage, it's called the love chapter written to the church at Corinth. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Faith, hope, and charity are love. And out of all of these, Paul said the greatest of these was love. So not only are you to protect the wife that you have, but you are called to love her, love her with an endless love. You may say, well, you don't understand. She's impossible to love sometimes. Looked in the mirror lately? You see, we have no problems loving ourselves. This is why I believe Paul wrote the way that he did. Because he says later on, or or further down, I believe it's in verse, uh, uh, let's see here, verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself or as he loves himself. There's no doubt that we love ourselves. We take care of ourselves. We feed ourselves. We do the things that we want. But to show love to another means that we are to take care of them. I I remember working as a CNA years ago. I was pastoring as well in in Nevada. and Went and got my certification and began working in a facility. And there was a lady there in one of the rooms. And we ended up finding out she passed away and uh, sometime later... She weighed about 450 pounds. She hadn't talked in over 23 years. But this little man would come in and every day he would sit by her bed and he would read to her and he would sing little songs to her. He would tell her all the news of the day. And we just left them alone when he came in. 
She never recognized anything about him. She'd been there for that long. Her mind was pretty much gone. And I remember we went back to Nevada for a trip not too many years ago, and I happened to see this man sitting in a restaurant. And I went up to him and I asked him, I said, how is your wife doing? And he said, well, she actually passed away about a year ago. I said, I want to tell you something. I said, whether you realized it or not, I said, but I watched your life and every day you gave a testimony of the way that I should love my wife of how we as Christians should love one another. I said, you came in every day, you helped to bathe her, you helped take care of her. She never reciprocated your love one bit. I said, but one thing I didn't do is I didn't ask you the backstory. Would you mind sharing with me? He said, sure. And he pulls out a picture and there was a beautiful lady in the picture. And he said, we'd only been married about seven or eight years and she just fell over one day, had a massive stroke. No rhyme, no reason. And he said, ever since then, he said, we had to put her in the home because I couldn't take care of her. And he said, she never even acknowledged my name after the day she had the stroke. He said, I asked him, I said, why? said because I promised to love her until death parted us that's biblical love that's what it takes it means getting up in the morning and even when you don't feel like loving your spouse remembering how much Christ loves you and loving them the same way Thirdly, there is a call, men, to sanctification in this passage. To be sanctified simply means to be set apart. And I'm just going to lay it on the line for you this morning. Men, if your house is falling apart in some way or you think it's falling apart, it may be because you have a prayer life that is falling apart or a Bible that isn't. You see, it requires us being willing to spend time in the Word. It requires us being willing to get on our knees and pray for our spouse, to pray for our children, to pray that we will be a godly example. And then finally, there is a call to hold fast. This is the word to cleave. And it simply means to stick or to be joined to someone like glue. Now I know in our congregation, I know that there are some of you who have gone through divorce, or you've been divorced and remarried. So I'd like to give you an encouragement and an encouragement to the rest of us as well. If the biblical model of marriage is not what is presently seen in your home, or was not seen in your home maybe, there are a few things you can do. First, seek forgiveness before God for areas where you maybe have failed. Husbands and wives, there are areas where your spouse has been wrong, but there are also areas where you have been wrong. And if we are going to be humbled before God, we have to be willing to seek forgiveness from Him in the areas where we have not measured up to God's standard. I don't want you to misunderstand. And if, there's, if you've tuned me out, I would like you to re-listen to this. If Mark Escalera is your standard for marriage, I'm going to let you down. If you're the standard for marriage, you're going to let me down. The standard for marriage is Christ and his bride. That's the only biblical standard for marriage. 
We can look up and we can rejoice when, when somebody has been married over a week, two weeks. I, I have a family member and, and, and they got married and were divorced inside of six or seven weeks. Seek forgiveness where you have been wrong. Secondly, do not seek to change your spouse. You can't even change you. I can't change me. What we can though do though is ask God to change us. When I have my devotions, when I'm preparing these messages, and this spoke to me just as much as I was preparing this message over this last week, Lord, what areas do I need to change to be a more godly husband or a more godly father? And third, finally, learn to be as ready and willing to extend grace and love as Christ does for you on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis. If we were willing to extend that kind of grace and that kind of love, I think we would represent to the world the value of biblical marriage. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, in a few minutes we're going to close with the words of a hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands, take my ears, take my lips. Take everything about me and mold me and shape me in the image of Jesus Christ. This is what we have been predestined to to do. We have been called to represent Jesus Christ, to look more like him today than we were yesterday and more like him tomorrow than we are today. Lord, we ask that you would do this in our lives. We want to be a different kind of church. Not just for the sake or not for the sake of being different. But we want to let Christ live in and through us in every area so that when people see our lives, when people see our marriages, when people see the way that we treat our spouses, the way that we treat one another, that they will see Jesus Christ. May it be so for your namesake. Thank you for the strength to be able to share from your word this morning. And we ask that the words would resonate within every heart and mind. And that we would go home seeking to work on areas that need to be changed. For your honor and your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen.